We're going to read Galatians 6.1, and then we're also going to read Galatians 5.22 and 23. Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And then verse 22 and following. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. All right. Well, I'm very thankful to be up here and be with you all. Sierra and I have been just really joyful in the last two weeks getting to be back in Kirksville. And I have a message tonight um, on spiritual maturity. And what I'm really going to focus on is something that comes from the Bible. I hope this will be laid out in a clear way. And really, it's something I know that a lot of you know. <laughs> and I know, I know that because um, I learned these things during my time here from many of you. Spiritual maturity. So for you young saints, listen closely because these are lessons that young believers need to learn. And uh, for you old saints, I hope that none of this will be new, but it would make you smile and it would make you pray earnestly for those of us that are young in the Lord and still working these things out. So I want to focus, there's a phrase in chapter 6 verse 1, and it's this, you who are spiritual, take another look. It says a little ways into verse 1, you who are spiritual. So that's the phrase. That's where I'm, I'm getting spiritual maturity from. And what I want to do is explore what it really means to be a spiritual person. What does it mean, you who are spiritual? What what is that supposed to mean to us? Who are the spiritual people? What defines a person as spiritual or not? Because uh, I remember Jared Turner asked me one time when I was still in college, he said, you know, this verse, it talks about going to someone and correcting them, restoring them, spiritual. What does it mean, you who are spiritual? And I didn't really know, and I just said, well, it's just kind of all Christians. And in a way, that's true. All Christians are spiritual in a sense, but I think what he's getting at, he didn't say all Christians do this, although there's a sense in which that's true. There's a special sense in which he's appealing to those who are spiritually mature 
to be helping those who are struggling. And that's why they're supposed to restore them. So what does it mean to be a spiritual person? Well, first of all, I want to say what it doesn't mean. Um, Sometimes, you know, the world will use a definition of he's really spiritual or she's really spiritual. And they just mean, can mean anything, religious, maybe even new age philosophy or something. He's a really spiritual person. He's into meditation. He's into this or that. And it has nothing to do with this, what we're reading here in the scripture. But we use the word too, and rightly so. When we have a respect for someone, when we think someone has gained some spiritual strength and vitality, we might say that they're really spiritual. We look up to them. They're really spiritual. Well, who are the people we should look up to? And, and what are the things, what are the qualities that we want in our own lives so that we could be spiritual? And I think the answer is found in verse 22 and 23. And this is the context of the verse, and I'm going to speak about this more in a minute, that I think the fruit of the Spirit is directly tied to those that are spiritual. But before I go farther into that, I want to say that as Christians, not people in the world now, as believers, we can get off and start to emphasize and elevate certain things as the real spiritual things when they're really not. And I think the fruit of the Spirit is a place we want to dwell on, we want to meditate on. And I know I've said this before, um, but I, I think it's worth giving some time tonight. This is a truth that is very precious to me, and I, I want to not only know it, but I want to live it out, and I want to pursue it, the fruit of the Spirit. So a, a spiritual person is not necessarily a person who has spoken in tongues or not necessarily someone who has had a dramatic vision of God or a dramatic experience. Sometimes we elevate deep experiences and we say because this brother had that experience, because this sister has had this experience, she's spiritual. Well, we need to think about this. We need to beware of overemphasizing the miraculous. And I use that a little bit loosely. I mean, there is a sense in which the miraculous obviously is real and good. But overemphasizing the miraculous in the sense of outward, observable, unusual, strange phenomenon, strange experiences. The Bible teaches miracles. And we read a lot of stories in the Old and New Testament about miracles. But if we overemphasize miracles or the miraculous and make that our definition of what is spiritual or what it means to be spirit-filled, then we can really get into trouble. Now, let me ask you all, and I'll just get some feedback here. This is meant to be an easy question. What's a verse in the Bible that would say a person who performs a miracle is not necessarily even saved at all. What's a verse on that? Matthew 7. 
What does it say? You know how it goes. It says, basically, there's going to be many people on the last day that say, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons. Now, casting out demons is miraculous. That's something the natural man can't do. You can't command a demon to come out. Demons are real. There's going to be people that have cast out demons. And the Lord says, but I don't know you. They're far from being spiritual. They don't even know the Lord at all. But I don't want to spend too much time on that tonight because I think it can be pretty easy um, being in one church to take a shot at another church, maybe a Pentecostal church, and say they emphasize tongues, they emphasize, you know, exercising demons or whatever, and they elevate that too high, obviously they've gone overboard. Those things are real, but they've gone overboard, healing or whatever. And I don't think that's really the problem in this church. Um, I don't so much hear people struggling with that, although it can happen. But there's another area that I think for me really resonates, and I often feel the tension, and that is overemphasizing outward ministry as being spiritual. I think for me and and for our circles, this could be perhaps closer to home. When we think about what we do, when we think about our service, when we think about things that you could outwardly observe and say, I did that for the Lord. Now again, ministry is good. And we ought to serve the Lord. We ought to have a hunger to do God's will. But is that really at the core of what it means to be spiritual, the person that does the most ministry? And I would say no. Just like miracles, that is valid and good. But there's something about the fruit of the Spirit that Paul is getting at here in Galatians. Something really important. And so we need to be on guard, especially especially for young believers to be on guard that ministry would not become such a high objective, a high emphasis that that becomes the definition of am I spiritual or not. If we look in the context, look here at Galatians 5.20. Some of the deeds of the flesh are as follows. Look at Galatians 5.20. Jealousy, rivalries, and in verse 21, envy. Jealousy, rivalry, and envy. And I would say from personal experience, how many of you have not felt the temptation? As soon as you try to do service for the Lord, the temptation to pride is there. I did something for the Lord. Or I want to do as much as they're doing. It's almost like a competition. And these things, they're not what it means to be spiritual. In fact, if our ministry turns into jealousy and pride and selfish ambition, really, it's not spiritual at all. And it won't bear fruit in the end. So we have a warning right in the list of things not to do that, again... As you do service to the Lord, you feel the pull toward pride. And so we need to be careful and keep ministry in the proper perspective. 
Look at verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. There is a way to do that even in the things of religion where you can become conceited or you can envy one another going back and forth in a way that's not spiritual. So what, what's the proper perspective? Well, a verse came to my mind as I was thinking, thinking over this message. And it's 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. You remember the story with Samuel, going to anoint the next king. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. What does that mean? It means what the Lord really is observing, what he really cares about, is what's going on deep down in your heart. And I think that's what we see when we see the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, these are things of the heart. Now, I'm not saying that love doesn't, of course, serve others. Love doesn't overflow and, and bless others. It does, but it starts in the heart. And what it really means to be spiritual is that when God looks down deep in your heart, he sees Christ there. He sees things that please him. Love. This is what it means to really be spiritual. And this is what we need to think on. We need to renew our minds. If we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if we want to be led by the Spirit, this chapter is amazing, really. Galatians 5 is full of talk about the Holy Spirit. Um, let's just kind of quickly look at some of these verses in Galatians 5. Notice Galatians 5 verse 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we go out preaching to a thousand people. No, he says, we ourselves eagerly wait. Through the Spirit, we wait. Um, look at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit. Look at verse 18. If you are led by the Spirit. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Look at verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And then verse 6, you who are spiritual. That's not a throwaway phrase. That's referring to this person walking by the Spirit, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And then in verse 8, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so a lot of what, a lot of what is emphasized as the power of the Holy Spirit, we really need to be careful. We really need to make sure it's something about the heart. Man looks on the outside, and I know miracles impress, and ministry impresses too. But the Lord is looking in the heart. When someone's full of the Spirit, overflowing with the Spirit's influence in their life, they're going to be bearing this fruit. 
That's really the primary thing. That's what it really means to walk by the Spirit. Not a one-time experience. It's a walk by the Spirit continually, again and again, His influence in our life. So I just want to try to understand the fruit of the Spirit then. If that's really what it means, if this list here that we have in verse 22, this list of attributes and even you could say inward qualities or emotions, whatever it is that we find here, I think this is what Paul's getting at when he says the spiritual people. And doesn't it make sense that if if someone's really stuck in a sin and you're going to have to go and try and help them out of it, you would want someone who's filled with love and joy and peace and gentleness, right? Because he says in the spirit of gentleness. Well, that's the very fruit of the spirit right there. Let me just try and think about this. When I when I've been looking at the fruit of the spirit, what I see is that really all of these different qualities that are mentioned here are all aspects of love. Now, why do I say that? I say that because I want to, one, I think it's true, but I want, I want us to realize how important the fruit of the Spirit is when we're thinking about our own life and, and we're praying that the Lord would help us to grow in these ways. I say it's these each are different aspects of love. One, because love is first in the list. Now, that doesn't necessarily prove it, but sometimes when you have a list of things that are really important, you put the chief one first for emphasis, and I think that's what's going on here. Um, there are other places, as you know, where it says, you know, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Well, in a sense, I think you can say that about the fruit of the Spirit, but they all overlap and go together. I also would say they're all a part of love, different angles on love, because 1 Corinthians 13 says love is patient. Love is kind. Well, patience and kindness are two things that are mentioned right here as fruit of the Spirit, and yet it says love is that. So love is gentle, and love is faithful, and love is good. Love is peaceful. All of these things really are different aspects of love. And I would say that because the fruit of the Spirit, at the end of verse 23, it says this, Against such things there is no law. Now what does that make you think of? Love fulfills the law. So really, to talk about the fruit of the Spirit is just to talk about love in the Christian life. You carry out these things. You have this attitude in you, these attributes of love and joy and peace. You'll never break a law because you'll be loving all the time and love fulfills the law. So what this is really saying, I'm kind of backtracking now, is... Spiritual maturity, you who are spiritual, are you who are walking in love? Which that shows you then this is something that's really at the core of what it means to know the Lord and walk with the Lord. The greatest commandment is love, that we love God and that we love one another. So this is why this pursuit is so important and why we don't want something like 
miracles or ministry to even be put in front of love in the heart, in the inner man. Now, what are some practical examples? Well, I think when you talk about love, you always have everyone's respect. Love, we know, is important. But sometimes when you look at these different aspects, if you're not careful, you can start to despise them. And, and what I mean by that is you can, you can think little of them like they're not really a big deal. Like gentleness. Take gentleness, for example. That one is easy to despise. Um, but we need to remember, in the realm of you're living with your brother in Christ, you're fellowshipping, if you're not gentle, you have some argument over some theology point. How many times have I done that? I feel really spiritual because I'm arguing about theology, and all the while, where is my gentleness? Not so spiritual. <laughs> That's not loving. Um, not bold and zealous rebukes, you know, just swiftly going and rebuking somebody when they did wrong. The very verse we started out with tells you not to do that. But sometimes we can feel really spiritual. We despise gentleness and we want to really be bold. Well, our boldness needs to be tempered with love. You know, I, I love what Bob Jennings said. Bob Jennings said, don't be trigger happy. <laughs> you know, don't be that person who's always rebuking everybody. That's not good. Um, if you do have to go to someone because they're stuck in sin, not just they sinned once, but they're stuck in sin and you're going to try to help them out of it, of course, we need to go humble and loving. We need to help them in a humble way. So we don't despise gentleness because it's a part of love. Patience, another practical example. Sometimes, without realizing it, we want success. We want a breakthrough. We want victory now. And at, at times, that attitude can actually be impatience. I don't want to have to go through this. And yet, it's actually spiritual to be patient. Now, sometimes the Lord does give swift victory or some instant success, but other times we plod on patiently trusting the Lord, and that is spiritual because it's showing our love for the Lord. Or we're patient with brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, you can at times feel like, they don't know this. They haven't learned that. That's frustrating for me. I feel like I don't want to be around them. I feel spiritual. They don't feel very spiritual. I'm just worn out. And you, want, you kind of want to go hang out with some other spiritual people that are like you. And the, but the thing is, love is patient. It may be that the most spiritual thing to do is stay right there with them in their process of sanctification not to run off. I, I've thought of this so many times, but think of how patient the Lord was with the disciples. Yeah. And sometimes we feel like the spiritual thing is, I'm just, I'm out of here. I, I can't take this. But the Lord hangs with his people. Faithfulness. Now, faithfulness can be easy to despise, 
Because sometimes faithfulness is just doing the next little thing that God puts in front of you. Sometimes our flesh wants a big thing. We've got a big ambition. And sometimes the spiritual thing is just to do the next thing because it's the right thing. Because it's what the Lord has given you. Faithfulness at times is very small. It can look like a cup of cold water. But it is spiritual. And when the Lord sees that, he's looking on the heart. No one else may see it, but the Lord cares because it's linked to love. And the last practical point I would make here is with peace. I think sometimes, um, hopefully not with any of you, but sometimes in different circles, there can be almost a spiritualizing of not having peace when you constantly are beating yourself up and constantly bemoaning how terrible of a Christian you are, it's almost spiritualized. And yet the Lord wants us to trust him, wants us to rest in him, wants us to be content with him. Peace is spiritual. Because again, it goes back to love. So why do we forget this? Why is it I feel like in my own life, these are things I have to continually learn. Why is it that it's so easy to turn towards what we do or ministry and despise the inward things, the fruit of the Spirit? Well, I think it goes back to pride, really. And pride is such a killer. (laughs) Um, I've got an illustration for you. Think of the army, okay? And imagine there's, maybe it's like boot camp. There's all these new recruits and they're, they're, you know, fresh in the ranks or whatever. And on day one, you've got some guy and he goes to his sergeant and the first thing he says is, when do I get to shoot a bazooka? <laughs> I mean, what is he saying really? What's going on? He, he's going for something way out there. He's not thinking about loyalty. He's not thinking about education or service or protecting his country or anything. He's wanting the thrill, right? And you can just imagine, you know, his captain or whoever just kind of smacking their forehead like, what am I going to do with this guy? But a lot of times we get like that. And, um, you know, miracles are amazing. And ministry is, is something that's really of the Lord. And yet, at times, our flesh is just like that, like the guy that wants to shoot the bazooka. Um, I heard, not firsthand, but it was actually posted on a blog, um, a quote by a guy named John Wimber, And it was put in a positive light, although I take it in a negative way. I don't think this is a good thing, but this is what he said. People were kind of reminiscing about John Wimber, you know, a lot of miracles and prophecy and whatever. Um, They said when he was first converted, he told the Christians that were around him, basically he said, when do we get to do the stuff? And they said, what are you talking about? And he said, you know, like, Casting out demons and healing people. And what he said was, 
I gave up drugs for this? And they were kind of looking back on that, kind of smiling like, you know, John Wimber, he was so like such a go-getter and just wanted to believe God for all these miracles. Well, when I step back and I think about that, that makes me think, what are you, what are you trying to say? We gave up, I gave up drugs for this. Like I gave up drugs for the gospel and for God loving me and washing my sins away. Like this is boring. I need, come on, I need the stuff. And that's the kind of attitude we don't want, whether it's miracles or ministry or anything else. We want to love the Lord. We want to love other people. God has set up this world in such a way that those small hidden things are actually very delightful and very important and bring him much glory. Um, I remember a quote one time that Brother Dick shared. Um, it's from Brother Lawrence, and it says this, We ought not to be weary of doing little things for the love of God, who regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it is performed. That's really something if you think about it. If that's true, that's really big. That God does not regard the greatness or the size of the work. He really doesn't. That's really not what he regards but the love with which it's performed. Imagine a man doing a lot of ministry, big ministry with very little love, very little true fruit of the Spirit. And then imagine some humble saint doing a little work faithfully with lots of love, lots of joy, lots of peace, lots of patience. Is that really the way that God works? I think he's right. Okay, so I'm going to put another question on you. What are some verses that say that? What are some verses that sound like not so much the size or the bigness of something, but this, this attitude of love in the heart that the Lord's really looking at? Anybody? Faithful in a little? What else? What does the Lord require of you? Walk humbly with your God. Not, not to... Give rivers of oil or sacrifice your firstborn. What were you saying, brother? Oh, the, that proverb bears, you know, herbs with love at the tables and all kinds of feasts come before. Mm-hmm. Any other verses? First Corinthians 2, but it's sort of in Yeah, it says not the, not the quantity, but the quality. The Lord's looking for gold, silver, precious stones. I thought of the widow's might. She puts in these... Tiny little pennies. And the Lord Jesus is drawn to that. He saw something there that all the riches didn't account for. Um, I thought of the sheep and the goats. This was something that somebody mentioned in San Antonio. At the end, when he's telling them, no, I know you. You, you serve me. You did these things for me. And they're like, Lord, when did we do anything like that? And he says, you did it to the least of them. You did it to me. You did this humble little act, but really with love. I thought of Mary and Martha. Mary didn't even do anything. She just sat at the Lord's feet. And the parable of the servants. Now, this one has always been intriguing to me. You've got 
servants that this man is hiring at different hours of the day and they go out into the field and work and then they come back and he pays them all the same and they're all confused and they say, but Lord, you know, we did the real work. And that parable can be kind of tricky when you try to think about it, but I think one thing that the Lord is teaching, it's not that he's teaching there's not rewards, but what I think what he's really getting at is on judgment day, there will be some surprises. So love and the fruit of the Spirit. Now, this is what we want to pursue, but how? How do we, how do we be these ones that are spiritual, controlled, led about by the Spirit? Um, How do we walk in the Spirit, as it says in chapter 5? Well, I would just, as a practical thing, and really we'll never get away from Bible reading and prayer, but let's look back in Galatians 3, verse 2. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? That's how they receive the Spirit, by hearing with faith. There's Bible reading right there. We need to be in the Word, that our mind would be renewed, that we would see glimpses of Christ and be changed into His image. And pray, Lord, make this true in me. Give me more love and more patience. Give me more kindness. Give me more gentleness. Pray to be like Christ. Christ sets the best examples you can find in Scripture. And I think this for me has been one of the most helpful ways to think about the Holy Spirit. Um, sometimes when, when I hear, when I've heard people talk about the Spirit, you know, in my mind, I thought of like electricity or thought of kind of this aura, this glow or something intangible like that, that kind of spirit. And that never really helped me. In fact, it kind of intimidates me a little bit because it feels more like power than it does like God himself or like love. But when I think of it this way, it helps. Sometimes in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of Jesus. Or sometimes the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of Christ. When I think about that, when I think about To really be filled with the Holy Spirit, to really be walking in the Holy Spirit, is as if Jesus is living inside of me, helping me to walk forward. Well, that does not feel strange. That that feels safe. That feels good. That feels like that's what we want. We want to be more like Christ. There'd be no harm in Christ just taking control of everything and living through us. And so that's what we pray just like he was patient, just like he was gentle, just like he had peace in the midst of his circumstances, we want to be like Christ and we want Christ to be living in us. And my last point would be this. This is my last application. Is that we need to recognize members in the body of Christ who are truly spiritual even though they may not have any big outward anything. 
no big ministry, no certain spiritual gift, you know, that brings them up in the pulpit or puts them in front of the church, even maybe no certain spiritual experiences, you know, no dramatic whatever, like so-and-so had. And yet, if they are filled, if they love Christ, and they're filled with love, joy, peace, they are spiritual, and we need to recognize them that way and be thankful. So in summary, um, I'm not saying that miracles and ministry are not important or real or that the Lord doesn't do any of those things. He does. But what I'm saying is those things are secondary and not primary. What it really comes down to, I love the way in 1 Corinthians 13, you know, it's like all this ministry, boom, 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 all these spiritual gifts, boom, boom, boom. And then Paul says, but... It's like he just stops. Wait a minute, we're going too far with this. I'll show you even a more excellent way still. Let's talk about love. Love is the more excellent way. And I think really that's what's getting at the heart of true spirituality. So let's pray. Oh, Father, we pray you would search us and try us. We pray you would bring us on in the Christian life. Lord, whenever we, whenever we think about ourselves, we know we fall so far short. And whenever we see you in the Gospels and throughout the Scripture, we see the character that is perfect we see everything our heart longs for, Lord. There's no blemish in you. And we pray by your Holy Spirit that you would take control of our lives and that you would fill us to overflowing. Lord, we want to be near you. We want to be like you. Oh, Lord, we want to be patient and gentle. Lord, help us renew our minds. Purge out the dross. Oh, Father, would you be with us in the inner man? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.